Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Nisa, who takes us through the beautiful concept of life as a meditation. Enjoy. Hello, Nisa. It's so nice of you to join me here in this podcast about relating to self. Hello, Joachim. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Mm, thank you. So I will take some time to introduce you to my audience, or at least the connection we have and what you mean to me. And then perhaps you can do the same for me and fill in some details, because I feel the origin story of our meeting got somehow lost in space-time. So what I remember is that I was living in Japan when we first encountered each other uh, in Tokyo. And I remember specifically that we went to a few interesting events, like a shaking baby uh, ritual. It's like, it's a ritual where the sumo wrestlers, I think, are shaking babies or something like that. And I remember us going there. And then also remember we had a couple of very nice um, dinners and, and we went out for a walk and we experienced an earthquake together and all kinds of interesting things. <laughs> and what I remember from, from those meetings is that I enjoyed having uh, deep conversations with you about the stuff that matters to me, you know, um, relating how we choose what our lives look like, how we make those things happen for ourselves. The, let's say the less, um, obvious things about life and, and how we make those happen. So I, I very much appreciated those conversations. And when I left Japan, we stayed in touch and yeah, here we are today now speaking on my podcast. Welcome, Nisa. Thank you. Um, wow. Yeah. So to fill in some details of how we met, I think, um, you know, I don't know the specific timing, but for a period, uh, you and I kind of chose this kind of different lifestyle and this lifestyle of, um, you know, creating space to be able to live and experience, you know, almost anywhere we wanted. And it, you know, I feel like very luckily, um, and not necessarily by chance, we both chose uh, Tokyo at the same time. I think that was kind of you had um, done a couple of stints there. But through that, I have uh, developed a number of groups, a number of, uh, whether that be uh, Facebook groups or Telegram groups of people who just live all over the world. And so through that, you know, I would just share, oh, hey, I'm in Tokyo. Um, I'm looking to meet people or, you know, I think originally I was looking for an apartment. I, so I was kind of asking around in these groups. And um, I can't recall exactly if you were in that group or if um, if someone in that group had introduced me to you. But I do feel that through that, we connected and from the moment we met, I I just felt this peace and kind of um, this knowing of, uh, of, you know, maybe our souls meeting on a different level that you don't get to experience every day and you don't get to experience with every everyone you meet. And so what you said before of, you know, being able to have these conversations of of the areas that may not seem quite as obvious. I, I I felt the same in you and that that feeling is so mutual and I've enjoyed being able to keep in touch and even deepen those conversations over time. So thank you. Mm, beautiful. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And if I recall correctly at the time, I wasn't really 
into this whole mindset of relating to self yet. I think I was exploring it. I was doing the research and I was, you know, getting to terms with, with my relationship with myself, but I didn't frame things in that perspective yet. So now here we are um, a few years later and I've kind of like, you know, made this framework for myself from which to, to navigate all those changes and those choices about my life. And so I'm very curious to just hear from you at first, um, when you hear this sentence relating to self, what does that mean for you? Yeah. Um, let's see. So relating to the self to me is sort of, you know, a deeper level of, you know, there's, there's self-love, right? And I, I feel like self-love is wonderful and um, something I would love to see everyone in this world have. At the same time, I feel like it skips a level. And I think that relating to self is the ability to really recognize and see where you are and who you are and to fully bring compassion and love to that piece of you. And so I feel like self-love can quickly go, you know, not looking at the reality of where you are and saying, I love myself, but I feel like relating to self sort of pushes you to actually accept and love yourself. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I very much resonate with that. I like that. I like how you shared this idea of like that it's self-love skips a level. And I think that's true. This level of looking at what, at what actually is true. Right. And for me, I like the phrase relating to self. I mentioned this quite a few times because I believe relating to self happens also in moments that we don't love ourselves. And the reality of things is that, you know, that's human to have these moments where you doubt that self-love. But then for me, that really contains some kind of magical ability that I have to then think about, oh yes, but I still relate to myself. And in this perhaps lack of self-love in a moment, I can still then develop that compassion and that, I guess, a desire to see what's really true for me. And yeah, so that's, that's beautiful. I would love to know. So there's a couple of things you shared, this understanding of where you are and who you are. How do you navigate that for yourself? Do you have certain ways of checking in with yourself to understand where you are and who you are? Yeah, I, you know, so over the years, I've, you know, developed a meditation practice, which has involved evolved quite a bit, um, you know, from specifically, you know, I had this idea of, oh, uh, meditation can only be, you know, sitting with your legs crossed and your arms out. And, and, and that's what meditation is. And, you know, yes, I believe that's a form of meditation. But I think more recently or over the past year or so, I've worked really hard to see sort of my life as a meditation and mm. each moment as sort of a new opportunity or, you know, a throwback to our Tokyo days. You know, I, I really try to look at moments as, you know, an opportunity to say, thank you, teacher. Thank you, sensei. Um, because I think... Every moment offers an opportunity to begin again and to really be aware. You know, there are periods of the day or potentially weeks or, you know, even longer where, you know, I, I can feel myself getting away from that awareness and, you know, getting swept up kind of in, in the flow or energy of something else, you know. And I think for a time in my life, I felt like, you know, that was bad or I'm missing something or, you know, but, but really I believe our lives are kind of this ebb and flow or this pendulum of experiencing these different things and then coming back, you know, and as the pendulum swings more, we find, you know, the, the swing gets um, slower and slower and we can find our center, you know, so, so meditation is something for me. I think also, um, running is something that's really important for me. And that's also something that has evolved. Um, you know, whereas now I, I try to run more consistently. And I, within that, the running consistently, I can see where my body is at each day, and I can accept it. You know, some days my runs feel 
oh, just so easy. I quickly get into, you know, that that runner's flow. I, I am someone who experiences that and, and it feels great. And then, you know, the next day with no reason, I it can be the most challenging thing, you know, and just finishing, you know, what I promised is so difficult. And I feel like this process has really taught me to accept and appreciate myself at both of those levels. You know, of course, I want to show up as my best and, you know, have more of those flow days. But I think there's something to being able to show up, even when things aren't flowing the way you expect. And um, I've chosen to do that through a running practice. Mm, wow, that's so beautiful. I. I see this huge parallel between what you describe as your meditation practice and then your running practice, right? Um, this idea of life as a meditation, I like that a lot, bringing the awareness into your everyday life. But also I feel, and that's something that I've experienced throughout my meditation practice as well. For me, meditation is a lot about just being present to what is real and not having this expectation that meditation will have a certain result or a certain state of mind. Because sometimes in meditation I sit and I have this like, wow, almost trance-like awareness and, and a very empty mind and it's beautiful. But then the next day I experience a lot of thoughts and I have trouble getting away from what's directly around me. And I feel that process is exactly what you describe in, in the running practice, that sometimes you have that flow and sometimes you don't. But accepting that, and appreciating what is actually true in each moment. I think that's absolutely the key. So I'm, I'm really curious how you, how you got there, because that sounds hard, like not to judge yourself, right? Because sure. as you, as you start that kind of practice, whether it's meditation or running, and I've experienced this myself a lot, you tend to judge yourself when it's not going as well as you hope, especially if you've made some progress, like say you're a few months in and you're like, yes, I have this nice flow now, my meditation is kind of good. And then one day suddenly it doesn't work at all and just shift around and, and then you tend to judge yourself. So how did you create that space around those practices for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when I first was creating the space around those practices, I, I didn't quite know that that's what I was doing. But within, um, within self-love, within relating to self, you know, I think something I would share with anyone if, if who is starting out, I would say first, look at self-compassion. So I'm pulling in another self. I, throughout my life, I have absolutely been my own toughest critic. And, you know, I've noticed at times where if something didn't quite go my way, or let's say, I made a mistake, that mistake would turn into, you know, not just a moment of, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have made that mistake. Rather, it would turn into maybe a bit more of a spiral of days of just feeling this guilt, feeling this shame, you know. Um, and through my practices and through working with kind of a mentor and a teacher, I feel like the first step for me that has provided so much just freedom and a soft landing for me has been that self-compassion. You know, um, I, I was shaming myself at times for simply being human, you know, and I, I just, well, I still have times where maybe I judge myself or, you know, I don't as quickly get to self-compassion as I would like to. It, it just, gives me kind of a baseline to come back to of, you know, continuing to love myself. And I've noticed I now, after you experience it, after you experience after a mistake, but you choose to love yourself again, you know, it, it so quickly is like, oh, I made that mistake, but I can start again, one, again, back to the thank you sensei in the next moment. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't start again till the next day or you know sometimes even the next weeks but it's it's in my mind and i i feel like it's something i can often come back to mm, beautiful i love it yeah i think for me also compassion is one of my pillars for sure i notice it in very small things like 
when I spill a cup of tea, I used to scold myself. And I realized that this voice that did that was the voice of my mother in my head, mm. who would scold me quite aggressively for those kind of behaviors when I was a kid. Even though we can say, you know, we all sometimes spill a glass of water or whatever it is. And so now when I, when I spill a cup of tea, I have this almost reflex of going into compassion and going like, ah, you know, this is human behavior. This is what happens sometimes. No matter how present and aware and careful I am, sometimes I will spill a cup of tea and that's okay. Right. And I, I love to hear that that's also something that you know, is at the core of those practices for you. Right. Well, and I, I actually really love the example of the glass of tea because it, it is something so small, right? But it's something that we could bring this, you know, really judgmental self-talk to. And, you know, I think when we think of mistakes and feeling shame, sometimes you consider these huge mistakes, but it's really bringing it back to the small ones, the little ones that, you know, something's going to occur every day. And um, so I, I appreciate that you you use that example because it doesn't have to be the biggest mistake of your life that is affecting this part of you. Yeah, and I think that's that's at the core of my practice now is that the real work is in those very small things that we sometimes tend to ignore. I think, you know, you have those peak experiences, as I would call them, either good ones or bad ones, you know, where you have indeed, you've made a terrible mistake. Like, I don't know, you were at a, you have a car accident or something like that because you, you weren't aware of what was happening around you or stuff like that, or you break your leg because you fall from a mountain. Those are like peak experiences. And the reality of life is that those are rare. So learning how to be kind to yourself and how to be compassionate and how to treat yourself well in those kind of moments probably won't happen in those peak experiences just because you can't practice them enough. But in the everyday life, in the small things, in like dropping a fork or, you know, anything, that's where you can actually practice the self-compassion most, I feel. And so, yeah, for me, this is um, a crucial search in bringing all those practices in my everyday life. Like every single day, how can I practice compassion? How can I practice forgiveness? And so on. Absolutely. I also like, <laughs> yeah, I also really like what you said about this judgmental self-talk. Um, I think there's a level beyond that even that many people struggle with is that they then, as almost kind of like a defense mechanism, use that kind of talk about themselves to others. So if I, you know, if I uh, spill a cup of tea or sometimes drop a knife, then in having a conversation with you, I might say, oh, Nisa, I'm so clumsy. And that feels like some kind of defense mechanism for me. And the reality is that that makes it worse because then I start identifying with a person who is clumsy. And so I wonder if you for yourself have identified this kind of behavior as well, where you speak negatively about yourself and how you perhaps overcame that. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, definitely have experienced and done this. And I, I've used it as a defense mechanism. It's kind of this idea, if, if I say it first, then they can't say it. Or, mm. you know, I also think if I say it first, then they may think I'm working on it or, you know, I'm aware of it. Um, it, it, it more so what, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing I don't want them to label me as it. So I'm labeling myself as it. Yeah, I think um, in in labeling our, ourselves these, oh, I'm clumsy and identifying with it. It's, it's taking to a place where, oh, I'm this way, it cannot be changed. Whereas we are not fixed. You know, sure, there are there are, are parts of us that, that we were born with and, you know, we need to learn in relating to self. We need to learn to work with them. I, I have worked very hard to sort of uh, find myself with as few labels as possible. And it's quite scary, frankly, at least for me, it's been quite scary because 
something I've noticed, the more I've done that, the more I've tried to pull back from labels for myself. It's become a bit more of a challenge uh, to interact with others who maybe have not chosen to do this because everyone wants a label. As human beings, we're looking for the patterns. We're looking for, okay, where do you fit? You know, where do I place you? You know, how do I understand you? And, you know, I feel like labels come with so many assumptions, you know? So if someone introduces me to you and they say, uh, Joachim is uh, an entrepreneur. Then, in my mind, and just because of how our brains work, it's very easy to say, oh, then he must be this way. He must do this. He must have these skills. He, he probably doesn't have these skills or whatever it may be. And a number of assumptions are made. And so I've tried really hard to um, <laughs> maybe create ways to uh, incite more curiosity from people, you know, because, you know, maybe, for example, at one point, I worked in politics, and a lot of things come up for people when I share that. And, and that's okay. I, I'm perfectly fine with that. But I think in how I want to interact with people, I want to be more curious, you know, what, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? Or what, you know, asking these various questions to really look at people as individuals, rather than clusters. And and it's quite time consuming and it's, it's not possible in every moment, but um, that, that's something I've, I've really tried to do. And I think with the self-talk, the first step would be to not need to share that broadly, to not share, oh, I'm clumsy or I'm always bumping into things. That's the first step. Can I hold that and keep it for myself? You know, and then, and then the next step from there is you know, because there's this deep awareness now to then shifting that. And, and at times, maybe as this is coming into sight, just saying, it, it's not a crime to be clumsy. <laughs> and so again, coming back to that compassion. Mm, yeah, there's something really interesting about what you just um, brought into the conversation, this idea of labeling, right? And I've been struggling with labels all my life. <laughs> I think, you know, for people who are sensitive and who try to understand what's really going on, labels are problematic. Well, and I've recently had an insight and I would love to have your opinion about that. I felt something like I was dealing with a specific situation. It doesn't really matter what was happening. And I felt a lot of tension. I felt a lot of unclarity. I was struggling with holding space for the complexity of what I was going through. And then one day I was journaling and somehow almost against my will or just it happened automatically, I started labeling what I had gone through and I started to label, to use certain words for certain people in those situations, just as kind of like, you know, I'm going to name this that. And as soon as I had done that, I felt a massive release of tension because that created a certain clarity. And I know that this clarity was, well, wildly inaccurate uh, at best. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like, you know, that's, that's what the human brain does because the human brain simply has no space for the full complexity of every single person, every single interaction and every single situation that we go through. So. I've, I've kind of come full circle, I feel, with I've gone through this huge process of not wanting to label things and on the contrary, breaking down labels that had been applied to me or that I had given myself and like breaking away from, from needing those labels for myself to now feeling like, hmm, sometimes using labels is a good way to reduce anxiety and stress. And I wonder how you feel about that. Yes. Um... I agree. I think where the question in that, which is semi-rhetorical, but you're more than welcome to answer, is how, 
how strictly or how, yeah, how strictly are you holding these labels? You know, and I, 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 I agree. I think labels um, can be incredibly powerful. You know, I, I, I think it's also the, you know, let's say in this moment, I am feeling sad. It doesn't have to mean I am sad and that's who I am before, present and after, you know, it can be this, I'm feeling sad, you know, and I think when we're labeling other people, it can even be, you know, I suppose I'm thinking of a more uh, challenging circumstance. So they are being mean, let's say, you know, and just to be very simple, it doesn't have to mean they are mean or they are always harmful or they are, you know, so I, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think one of the, you know, when I sort of stepped into, you know, looking for ways to know myself more, being able to label and understand feelings that at times they were incredibly ambiguous, you know, where I could say, oh, I feel something and it's not good, you know, but was I able to to identify, was it tension? Was it anger? Was it frustration? Was it, you know, something as simple as hunger? Um, you know, so, so being able to have that in your toolkit. But I think, you know, the question is, how long do you carry it? I think the hunger one is was sort of fun because it, it can be, okay, I'm very hungry and I'm feeling, you know, my, my body is not feeling good. And then I go and I eat, and I am no longer hungry, you know, and, and then I can move on. Not every situation has as clear of, you know, that that's more of a, a physiological sensation, right? Whereas the emotions can be much more uh, fluid, and, um, you know, kind of swishing around. And so it's not quite as simple. But I think when you can sort of begin to think of it in those terms, it's okay for, you know, uh, these feelings and emotions to have sort of a close for a period of time, you know, uh, anger is going to come back. Um, frustration is going to come back. Uh, excitement is, is going to, to come and go, you know, and, and allowing them to kind of come and then release rather than come and I'm angry. I'm, you know, in carrying these things. I, it's, it's, it's heavy to carry those. I, <laughs> I can speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So can I. Thank you, Nisa. <laughs> yeah, that really resonates with me, this, what you just said, um, with this whole concept that I have of navigating life is oftentimes kind of like managing tension and tension and release. And I've spoken about this a couple of times in, on the podcast because it has a parallel with music. And well, in a previous life, I, I was a musician. So this idea of navigating tension and then finding ways or knowing how to release it is kind of key. But the idea is there that tension is one, unavoidable and two, sometimes necessary because otherwise the release wouldn't have any meaning. And so I think that's important to not want to avoid tension altogether, like, you know, avoid negative emotions, avoid feeling angry, avoid feeling whatever. I think that's not the right approach. The right approach is to understand that, as you so beautifully said, all things are impermanent. All these emotions will come and go. You know, they will come back at times, but knowing how to handle them and how to release them for yourself. And if labeling is one of those tools you have to release tension, I think that's probably a good thing. I would love to move on to another thing you said that caught my attention, which was working with a mentor or a teacher. And I wonder if you could guide us through the process of how you found or how you chose a mentor or a teacher for yourself. Yeah. Um, that process, I feel for me, I, I, I happened upon it. Um, I, I knew, I, I had felt, suppose, speaking of tension, this tension internally that I had kind of reached 
this ceiling. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, I just, you know, I feel like I've, I've done all these things. I've, um, I've read all the books. I've practiced yoga. I've, you know, but I, I just felt like there was, um, something keeping me, uh, from what was next. And, and I want to be careful because I don't want to put it in levels, you know, of like of reaching the next level. But I, I felt like something was uh, holding me down. And that gave me sort of the, the interest in exploring what that was. And, and through that, I just kind of began sharing with a few close friends. And a friend said to me, I, I've worked with someone who, uh, you know, has just brought so much peace into my life. And, you know, if you're interested, I can provide an introduction to you. And I, I was so open to that. I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, finding, um, finding these opportunities is just about being open to them and being open to going into a conversation where I had no idea where it was going to lead or what it was going to look like, or if it was going to be a good fit. And, and this, when I spoke with her, it was something that just clicked. It just felt right. And, you know, when first starting working with her, the first six months were, were quite intense. And, you know, there were times where, you know, when you, when you decide to make a change, there are areas of your life you're inviting to be shifted and turned. And even if you know it's the right thing, that change can, is incredibly uncomfortable. And at times it can feel, yeah, it, uncomfortable feelings can feel like you're making the wrong decision. But there was something deep down in me, what I like to call intuition, and that I just knew. I knew I had to keep moving forward. And so I would say if you're, you're looking for a teacher or mentor, I think start exploring, ask trusted um, friends or people who you know, who um, might know of someone. It, it's interesting. You never, when you put something out there, you never know when or where it's going to pop up again, you know, because who knows if I, I share with Joachim and he may say, oh, I don't know of anything right now. But if months down the line, he meets someone that thinks he thinks may be a good fit, you know, that that could come back. And so I think putting things out there and um, being open to sort of what comes. Now, I will say, I, I think if you meet one person and you don't quite feel like it's going to work, I would say, continue trying to meet people. Don't, don't stay with that person if you don't feel like it's the right fit. I do feel like uh, quite lucky that um, it was something that was a good fit from the beginning, but I understand there are a number of things or times or even different experiences in my life where I had to, you know, sort of try out a few um, different uh, situations. Mm. Yeah, I like that idea of putting things out there and then seeing what happens, seeing what comes back. You never know, right? And that's so true. And I, I think that's also part of the idea of this podcast is to just putting these conversations into the world and then see what happens. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone's listening, I don't know who's listening, but I'm pretty sure that eventually, if I keep doing this long enough, something will happen. And I'm really curious to see what it is that will happen. So yeah, um, one thing I would like to ask you also about this idea of a teacher or a mentor is like, how do you feel that impacts your path? Because well, for me, I've never really had a, a mentor or a teacher when it comes to relating to self besides, well, I've had several therapists, you know, who just like the more classical idea of, of therapy and I've had a meditation teacher, um, which again is more maybe practical, um, and not so much about guiding me along on this journey. So I would, I would love to know how has that impacted your growth? How do you feel? Have you moved through things that were perhaps impossible on your own? 
thanks to this relationship with a teacher? Uh, absolutely. So in the beginning, it was, it was a relationship I depended on a lot, you know, um, but she was someone where I, again, from the beginning, there was, uh, this, this level of trust. I, I don't think I've felt with very many people and in that she expressed to me within our first conversation of what the goal is, is actually to sort of strengthen me and give me the skills. So at some point, you know, I, I will go long periods of, of not feeling, um, I will go long periods of, of relying, you know, fully on myself and feeling comfortable in that. And, and that was something that made me feel very safe because I think there are some teachers out there, um, you know, I think we've seen this in sort of the spiritual wor world, kind of the underbelly of that, of teachers attempting to get people to rely on them, you know, and to trust the teacher more than trusting yourself. And that was something I never felt, uh, or I'd, um, I, I was learning to experience. And, you know, so in the beginning, I was really relying on her. I mean, there were times where I felt like I couldn't make a decision until I spoke to her, but it was never her making a decision for me. Rather, it was her asking the right questions and giving me the space to one, simply experience my feelings and two, to, to then understand what those feelings are to then take action. And so I would say it, it's affected me a lot. Now I feel very strong and in myself. And when a decision comes up, I almost get excited, you know, because I, I am capable of making um, these decisions. That doesn't mean there aren't times where, you know, I need to reach out to a friend or I also reach out to her and, um, you know, look for some guidance or even look for support at times. I think we all just need to know someone else believes in us. We shouldn't fully be relying on that, but it, knowing that someone else uh, believes in you and, and your ability um, really can be a game changer. And it's taken me, uh, it's taken me some time to be able to truly believe that because I did go through a period where I felt, oh, I have to do it all on my own. I'm hyper individualist. I, I have to do it on my own. No one's here for me. And, and that's just not the truth. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I remember reading something like this desire to be entirely self-reliant is also an expression of trauma in some way. Mm -hmm. It's because we, we feel unsupported. So we feel that we have to do it ourselves. And on my conversation with Sonia on this same podcast, she brought this concept to the table of relating to self through others also mm. of having this group of people around her who then help her understand who she is by reflecting things, by mirroring things. And I think that's quite crucial to the experience of being human, being surrounded by a social group, yeah. people who are on our side and who help us move through things. So that's yeah. definitely something I can, I can relate to. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I'm excited to listen to that, uh, that episode. Mm. Um, a completely different question. When you think about your relationship with yourself, is there anything that you particularly still struggle with? Yes, there is. Um, I would say, you know, there are even a few things, uh, depending on the day. I... Something I'm working through right now and something I'm really looking at is, uh, quite frankly, follow through on projects I really want to complete. I, there are things I want to do in the world and I, I historically have been maybe a bit 
uh, reserved in doing them out of fear of um, not being accepted or not being seen or, um, yeah, or, or people just not liking it. And right now, I really do want to find a bit more of the, I'm trying to think of the right word. Because it's not even motivation, but it's it's maybe the courage to just step out more. You know, I have, I have, uh, I also enjoy writing and journaling, and I have journals filled, and I have, you know, <laughs> private blogs written and and things, and I I really feel like I've come to this point of. You know, I think that's beautiful and I, I think it's wonderful to have things for ourselves, but I'm just so ready um, to move into a place of service, um, to move into a place where I'm not just keeping things for myself, rather being open and uh, offering that. So this, that's a space I'm really working on. And in this, I would actually love to hear some of your experience of uh, moving into creating this podcast. And I know you've also created a relating uh, to self uh, sort of challenge for 30 days. And I would just love to hear how you took that leap. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing that so vulnerably, Nisa. I think that's beautiful. I very much resonate with what you say, this idea of the creative act being scary, right? Bringing something into the world outside of our own personal world is scary because we don't know how the world will react. And I, of course, have a lot of experience with that. As, as I said, in my previous life, I was a musician, I was a composer. So my whole life consisted of creating things that didn't exist before and then bringing them into the world. Um, and every single time it's kind of like an uphill battle with your fears and, and as you say, your courage to, to just push yourself enough to actually do it. And indeed also with what I'm doing now with relating to self and with love for weeks, the challenge that you mentioned, it maybe seems as if for me now, these things come easily and organically. Like I have no problem speaking to you on this podcast and putting this into the world, but that's the result of a whole process, of course, that people don't see. And for many years, I've thought about, Ooh, I would like to have a podcast. I think that would be a nice way to bring things into the world. I think that would be a nice way for me to grow, for me to get in touch with people, for me to have beautiful conversations that I crave. But it was very difficult for me to get to the point where I finally allowed myself to do this without this fear of what people will think paralyzing me. So yes, very much. That has been something I've worked on for a very long time. And of course, I do have to say, and that's actually to get back to the conversation we had earlier, labels can be helpful in that way as well. In the sense that the label that you used for me um, earlier in this conversation, you know, entrepreneur, if I label myself an entrepreneur, that kind of gives me permission to behave like an entrepreneur. And I know that entrepreneurs, they make things, they bring things into the world. And very often part of the entrepreneurial journey is making and breaking things, is doing things that don't work, that people don't want, that, you know, don't resonate with people. And that's kind of like almost expected as an entrepreneur. And for example, that's way more difficult as a composer. Uh, well, at least that felt that way for me. It felt like every single piece I wrote that was going to be performed felt like this had to be like my best piece yet because it was going to be scrutinized. It was going to be written about in the newspaper, you know, like the critics would be there <laughs> and then people would interview me on, on the radio or on television about like what this piece meant. And so it had to be kind of like the best yet. Whereas as an entrepreneur, that's not the case at all. You can build something, you can put a product in the world. If nobody buys it, if nobody cares, you just build something else. And so there, using this label um, as a method of allowing yourself to do things uh, has really helped me. So yeah, thank you for that question. I think that's very relevant. And I truly hope that you will also find more freedom and more courage in expressing yourself and in 
putting things out there because yeah, that's, that's the whole point. I think in the end of, of going through these journeys, right? Like we find, we find things that we might as well share with others that might be relevant for them. Otherwise just keeping them from, for ourselves doesn't, doesn't feel very meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. When, right when you were um, going to say that's the whole point, I was thinking in my head, but, but if you don't share them, then what's the point, right? So absolutely, it's, it's, it's a way to allow yourself to live beyond you, beyond yourself. Mm, beautiful. I like that. A way to let yourself live beyond you. I'm going to remember that one. Thank you, Nisa. Well, as we approach the end of this conversation, um, I have one more question for you. And it's a bit of a curveball, but I like this question because it gives me a lot of information about people. And the question is very simple. What would have been one question that you would have loved to answer, but that I didn't ask you? I think a question that would be really helpful. I, I think back to when I started sort of on this journey of kind of being more aware of self in general. And I try to think back of what would be, what would have been helpful for me then. And so I think the question I would have loved to answer, and I would love to hear your answer as well, is what made you decide to take that first step? Wow, that is such a good question. That is a really good question. As I think of it, I am not sure I know. I think there's, there's many things there, you know, in the subconscious and in, in the way I got to this whole journey that I'm not very clear. I don't think it's one, one point. I don't think it's one experience. I don't think it's one decision. Um, but if you have an answer, I would love to hear it. Sure. And, and I absolutely, um, agree with you that there's not typically, uh, just one point or, or one event or one thought, but um, these many things occurring. And I, for me, I heard it was about hearing sort of a voice. And I can't quite say how often this voice came along or what it looked like, but it, it was very clear that there's another way. And I, I can't recall exactly if I had answered it, <laughs> how quickly I'd answered that call, but there came a point where I wanted, I wanted to see, I wanted to look, I wanted to experience that. And so I, I just, you know, if there are callings uh, on your hearts and your intuition, I just invite people to take that first step. You don't, you don't have to take a hundred steps. You don't have to run. Just take that first step and, and kind of see what opens from there. Mm, beautiful. I really like that. I think that's a wonderful approach. Thank you so much, Nisa. Thank you. Hmm. Well, one more thing. If people want to follow you or they want to find you, or if there's anything that you want to share with people listening to this podcast, what would that be? Absolutely. I am, uh, I, last year I started working on a project and it's called Sosai Org. Um, Sosai in Japanese means counterbalance. Um, and I like this word counterbalance because something I've found in my own life is, is balance is quite difficult to achieve and even more difficult to maintain. And so the idea of counterbalance was how do we explore and strengthen our inner worlds to then sort of offset in a way kind of the outer world? Um, because as 
has become even more obvious uh, today and over the past year, year and a half, we really don't have control of the outer world. And um, anytime we feel a sense that we do, I would almost argue that this may be an illusion and to consider that. And, you know, but what we can manage is how we handle ourselves and how we take care of ourselves and how we bring compassion to ourselves. And so this is sort of the project I started um, last year. It's uh, still questions and as I'm continuing to take the steps, but one place to find some information there would just simply be on Instagram. And the handle is sosai.org and that's spelled S-O-S-A-I-O-R-G. That's the handle. And then also, if you're a reader on Substack, you can um, find us at sosciorg at substack.com. Wonderful. Great. I will make sure to post those links in the description of this podcast so people can easily find them. Nisa, this was lovely. Thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think it was meaningful and I learned things. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, thank you. Uh, as I said at the beginning, it's, a, it's always a pleasure to, to be in conversation with you. So thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. <laughs>